1: What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Philly Sports Power Hour with Bill Calarulo on this beautiful Wednesday in November. We got a great show planned today. We have a big Sixers game tonight. And I already see some of you in the chat. Jason A Team, let's go Sixers, Celtics tonight. A big Sixers game to get fired up for. So we're going to be joined by Kayla Santiago around 1020 today. Some of you may recognize Kayla. She does the game day shows with me, Mark Farzetta, Seth Joyner here on the Jacob Sports Network. But she's also the sports director for Delmarva Sports Network. And she's a big Sixers fan, really knows her Sixers stuff. So I want to talk to her about this big game for the Philadelphia 76ers tonight. Also want to talk about Carson Wentz. They must have been listening to the show yesterday. We talked a little bit about Carson Wentz yesterday not getting signed. Almost right after the show, he signs with the Los Angeles Rams. We'll talk a little bit of Flyers, and then if we have time, I want to look at those ridiculous power rankings from ESPN's analytics in the NFL. Just ridiculous. But let's see my Power Hour crew, who we have in the chat today. I see q the bird. Like I said, Jason A-team in the house, BSing sports. Good morning. Andre, how you doing, my friend? Twiz, good morning to you. Wine Niners Wine. Appreciate that. Says, a great Legal Hands to the Face show with Ray Diddy. Finally got a chance to listen last night. Yeah, check that out, guys. Some of you may know, in addition to doing the Philly Sports Power Hour, I have the Legal Hands to the Face show and podcast. We had Ray Diddy on. So you could check that out. Anywhere you get your podcast, Legal Hands to the Face, or even here on YouTube, that video is available. The fact checker. Into Music Hits, appreciate that. My intro music is new. We like it. Bobby Murphy, good morning to you. Tony, good morning to you. Brian Lippincott, with a little cowboy suck to start this Wednesday morning. Love it. James Jones, good morning. (laughs) Andre, they're listening. I think they are listening to me. The NFL is listening to me. Man, loving all you guys checking in in the chat. Vince, good morning. Brian Davis, good morning. Decoy Gaming, Peter Doty, a killer ferret. Love it. Love it and appreciate the kind words, Brian Davis, Best Jacob Media Show. Appreciate that. But you know I got to talk a little bit about my fly guys, the Philadelphia Flyers. We won't spend too much time, but if any of you guys stayed up last night, Flyers are on the West Coast, so these games are late, and you didn't miss much last night. The Philadelphia Flyers lost their fifth game out of the last six, and they lost last night to the San Jose Sharks, who we're a game away at setting an NHL record for the worst start in NHL history. San Jose was 0-10-1 going into that game last night, and they beat our Fly Guys 2-1. to So not a great showing by our Flyers. And I see more people checking in in the chat. Wheels, good morning. Eagles fan, good morning to you. Appreciate all of you guys spending this hour with us on the Philly Sports Power Hour. I really do. But these Flyers, man, they're playing hard. I said it. They're playing hard, but they just don't have a lot of talent. And last night, it was on full display. They just don't have enough offensive power. Carter Hart's still out of the lineup. He did make the West Coast trip, which is a good sign. But he didn't play last night. Young goalie Samuel Erson played. Didn't play bad. Sean Couturier did come back from injury, which is, a good, which is a good sign. And I see a killer ferret said the goalie stood on his head. But there was a nice fight. Nick DeLaurier. If you guys aren't familiar with DeLaurier, he is a typical Philadelphia Flyer, man. Throws his body around, can drop the gloves, plays hard. So he had a real big fight last night. Watch that on YouTube. It was a good fight. He got the better of his opponent for sure. But they just don't have enough firepower. But if you guys are Flyers fans, you're going to lose some sleep this week because they play Friday night against the Anaheim Ducks at 10 o'clock. And then they finished this West Coast road trip on Saturday night at 1030 against the L.A. Kings. But let's move on. Let's move on because we do have some good teams in this city. Unfortunately, the Flyers aren't one of them right now, but I think they are headed in the right direction under John Tortorella and this new leadership group that they have in in South Philly for the Flyers. But before we get into our Sixers talk with Kayla Santiago, let's talk about Carson Wentz. And I see wheels in the chat. Congratulations to Carson Wentz getting signed. Hopefully he can do something to revive his career. So all you guys in the chat, how many people are still Carson Wentz fans? Because the way it ended here in Philadelphia, he became a very polarizing figure in this town where people were either on the Wentz wagon or they were completely off the Wentz wagon and just didn't like Carson Wentz at all so you know I was a guy who was never that high on Carson Wentz you know I never disliked him but even during that 2017 season as great as it was I was never that much of a Wentz guy look I'm not going to sit here and say I anticipated this sort of decline because I want to talk about that sort of decline but You know, I just never really took to Carson Wentz, not like I do with Jalen Hurts. And I think Wentz was just missing that leadership factor. And you started to see it, and it started to come out of different locker rooms, first with the Eagles, then with the Colts, then with Washington, that he just wasn't really that great of a team guy. And I don't think he's a bad dude. I don't think Carson Wentz is a bad dude. But for whatever reason, he doesn't relate to his teammates on the same level that some of these other quarterbacks do. And, you know, I saw some stuff getting posted on Twitter. that It was because Carson would choose to do Bible studies on Friday instead of going out with his teammates. I don't believe that's what the case was. Because you see other guys in the league are very religious guys. Kirk Cousins, a very religious guy, but yet has the ability to relate to his teammates on a different level off the field that I feel Carson Wentz was just never able to do. But you look at Carson Wentz, and it's just crazy the decline that this guy has gone through since 2017. But now he signs with the L.A. Rams and Sean McVay, and it's interesting how his career has come full circle because if you remember back to the 2016 draft, Sean McVay and the L.A. Rams had the opportunity to draft Carson Wentz, and they chose to go with Jared Goff. The L.A. Rams had the number one draft pick that year, and they picked Jared Goff over Carson Wentz. They eventually move on from Goff, obviously, trading him to the Detroit Lions and getting Matthew Stafford. But now they signed Carson Wentz to be Stafford's backup. Stafford was out last week. He has that thumb or finger injury, but there's reports that the Rams are hopeful he's going to return after the buy. The Rams are on a buy this week, so we may not see Carson Wentz at all he may just serve as a backup but it'll be interesting to see if Wentz does get any opportunity in LA because look Stafford he's getting up there he's not a young guy anymore how old is Stafford now probably 35 let me see I want to see how old Matthew Stafford is now yeah he's 35 years old so he'll be 36 this February Now, quarterbacks can obviously play a lot longer than other position players, but how much more does Stafford have left? And what's Stafford's contract with the Rams? I'm going to take a look at that, too. How many years does Stafford have left on that contract? Okay, it looks like there's a potential out in 2026 in that deal. So he's there for a couple more years. Stafford's making... He's a $20 million cap hit this year. Wow. It balloons to a $49.5 million dollar cap hit in 24, a $50 million and a half cap hit in 25. So don't be surprised if they try to restructure that deal. He signed a four-year $160 million contract. But they're not going to be able to move on from him because in 24, there would be a dead cap of $86.5 million in 25, a dead cap hit of 37. So Stafford's there to stay. So hopefully he can stay healthy. So we'll see. I see James Jones in the chat saying Stafford's nearly done, but unless he voluntarily chooses to be done, it looks like Matthew Stafford's in LA for at least the next two seasons. So we'll see if Carson Wentz can revitalize his career, but it really is incredible when you go and look at Carson Wentz's career. So 2017, we all remember the 2017 season. It was a magical run for that Eagles team. But Carson Wentz plays 13 games that year, goes 11-2, and two, throws for 33 touchdowns and only seven interceptions. Was an MVP caliber quarterback until he tears his ACL in L.A. Another interesting thing how it's all coming full circle. L.A. chose to go with Jared Goff in the draft over Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz's career started to take the decline when he tears his ACL in L.A. So a lot of things come in full circle for him. But there were some things that he was doing, even in that 2017 season, that started to rear their ugly head over the the next few years. And he took a lot of sacks, and he fumbled the ball a lot. Even in 2017, in only 13 games, he had nine fumbles. He was sacked 28 times. And we all know how that season went on to end with Nick Foles stepping in. BDN, our man. Super Bowl MVP. Nick Foles will always be a god in this town. And that had to be hard on Carson Wentz. It did. And say what you will about Carson Wentz as a teammate, and we talked about it when I first started talking in this segment about him, but that had to be hard for anybody who is a competitor, anyone who's ever played competitive sports, to have to sit there and watch your team win a championship without you. You're happy for your teammates. There's no doubt about it that you're happy for your teammates, but then there's a part of you it has to be eating you alive inside that you couldn't be on the field contributing to that championship. And I know some people wanted to fault Carson Wentz, that he wasn't as happy as he should have been for his teammates. Listen, I'm sure he was happy for his friends and his teammates and the city for winning that championship. But there's a part of you as a competitive athlete that you want to be out there. You want to be the guy leading your team to that championship. And if Carson Wentz didn't feel that way, then that's a bigger problem. If you don't want to be the guy leading that team to a championship. And I see all you people in the chat here talking about Carson Wentz, and I appreciate it. Check in a little bit on the chat. Geno came back after 10 years. Why can't Wentz? Interesting point, Twiz. Interesting point. Everybody thought Geno Smith's career was over. And look what he's doing, revitalizing his career in Seattle, playing some really good football. Some really good football. Wine Niners wine. John Gruden said he fixed Wentz, so McVay is taking a shot. Nothing more. Wentz is worthless. Yeah, Carson Wentz worked with John Gruden in the offseason. I actually did an Instagram video about that in the offseason, seeing if either both of those guys can try to revitalize their career. But you look at Carson Wentz, after that 2017 season, as good as he was, you started to see some cracks. 2018, he only plays in 11 games, comes out to a 5-6 and six record, 21 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, and again, too many fumbles, too many sacks. 9 fumbles in 11 games, 31 sacks in 11 games, and then once again, who steps in? St. Nick, BDN, steps in. Leads that team to the playoffs, and I am still convinced it still eats me alive that that ball tipped off Alshon Jeffrey's hands in that playoff game and was intercepted. They win that game, they go back to the Super Bowl. I am convinced if Jeffrey catches that football, we may be talking about Nick Foles leading us to two championships. That one still hurts, man. How many of you guys in the chat thought? that Nick Foles was going to do it again in 2018. How many of you thought when he was leading the team down the field in that playoff game that the Eagles were going to do it again, that St. Nick was going to deliver us again to the promised land? I know I did. That one still stings, man. Not as much as Super Bowl 57 hurts, but that one hurts. But then Wentz did have a bounce-back year. A lot of us forget. 2017, great season. Down year in 2018. But then he bounces back in 2019. He started all 16 games. The Eagles go 9-7. and But if you remember, he put the team on his back towards the end of that season. Leads them into the playoffs. He has 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. And then he gets that concussion, what, 4 plays in to that playoff game? Four plays in. I see BSing sports saying the sound cut out. You guys still have me? Are you all right? Everybody good? Let me know in the chat if you could still hear me. Because I see uh, BSing sports saying that the sound cut out for a second. But he does bounce back in 2019. Leads them to that playoff game. And then gets injured. And that's where things completely, completely went off the rails. Eagles draft Jalen Hurts. Carson Wentz was never able to recover from it. But, like I talked about in 2017 and 2018, where you started to see the cracks with too many fumbles and too many sacks, in 2019, 16 fumbles Carson Wentz had. So, as good as he was, 16 fumbles. And again, 37 sacks. But 2020 was by far the worst that he ever looked in an Eagles uniform. Only starts 12 games, goes three eight and one, 16 touchdowns, but throws 15 interceptions, 10 fumbles, and was sacked 50 times, man, 50 times in 12 games. And everybody at the time, we're talking, oh, is it? Is it the offensive line? Is the offensive line getting old? No. Those were on Carson. Those 50 sacks were on Carson Wentz. And then he gets traded to Indianapolis. Didn't play horrible in Indianapolis, but Jim Ursay, the owner for Indianapolis, hated Carson Wentz. Hated him. Ships him out after a year. He goes to Washington. That was a disaster. Only two and five in seven starts. Appears in eight games. Eleven touchdowns. Nine interceptions. Again, fumbles are a problem. Again, sacks are a problem. He just doesn't look like he's been the same guy since that concussion happened and I see you guys talking about Clowney, man, that was tough, man. That was tough. But let me ask you a question in the chat before we get off the Carson Wentz talk, and I want to know your honest opinion, and it's something we will never know the answer to. I know we don't win that Super Bowl in 2017 without Carson Wentz having an unbelievable 13 games to start that regular season. But if Carson Wentz didn't get hurt, do you think the Philadelphia Eagles win Super Bowl 52? Do you think he would have led this team to a Super Bowl that season going up against Tom Brady playing the Atlanta Falcons in the first week? What do you guys think? Minnesota Vikings in the NFC championship game. Andre says yes, he thinks he would have. Kevin Zavard, no. William Sanders, no. Eagles fan, no. Would Carson Wentz have had the ability to lead this team? Charles Menefee, no, doesn't have the fortitude. It's an interesting question. The fact checker thinks he would have. Blake Winters thinks he would have. A killer ferret says absolutely would have. The real RMP, if he would have kept playing the way he played through those 13 games, I say, hell yes. The fact checker, his spirit wasn't broken yet. James Jones, I think he would have. He was hot and he was on fire. Mr. Taz, no. Eagles fan, dude would have tried to do too much. Possible. We've seen it. We've seen it. Bobby Murphy. We never win a Super Bowl with Wentz, would have never went toe-to-toe with Brady like Foles did. A lot of no's in the chat. I see you, Barbara Carroll and Neil Watson. A lot of no's. And MC makes a really good point. Foles had no pressure, nothing to lose. And that's the truth, man. That's the truth. Would Carson Wentz have been able to do it? Still doesn't have any playoff wins in his career. Would he have been able to do it? And it's an interesting question because that team was stacked, man. They had great leadership on that team. I've talked about it before on this show. Malcolm Jenkins is one of the most underrated players in Eagles franchise history, in my opinion. Not only was that guy a great safety, he was a phenomenal leader on those teams, both on and off the field. And he never missed a play, man. You go back and look at Malcolm Jenkins' stats. He never missed a play, not a game, a play. Also played special teams. He was a great leader. So maybe that would have led them to the Super Bowl. But I am of the opinion that Carson Wentz would not have won Super Bowl 52. I just don't think he would have been able to do what Nick Foles did In those two games, the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl. Foles didn't win us that first divisional game against the Atlanta Falcons. That was a close game, if you remember correctly. Came down to a Julio Jones couple touchdown passes attempts in the end zone at the end of that game. But then Foles had some of the two best playoff games I have ever seen any quarterback have in that NFC championship against the Vikings, and then in the Super Bowl going toe-to-toe with the greatest of all time. So it's hard to sit here and say, oh, yeah, Wentz would have done the same thing. And that's not necessarily a knock on Wentz. It's just, could Carson Wentz have played to the level that Nick Foles played at, which was historic levels, what you saw from BDN, St. Nick? Man. But I do wish Carson Wentz the best. I hope he can revitalize his career. I don't think he's a bad dude. But we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we are going to be joined by Kayla Santiago, and we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about our 76ers who got a big game tonight against the Boston Celtics. Stay tuned, guys.
0: Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes.
2: Since 1977, it's always been about you, the community, at Rafferty Subaru. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now.
0: So Good Now helps kids in under-resourced areas by connecting them with student athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most.
1: When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help organizations like So Good Now. It's all about you. And we're excited to welcome for the first time to the Power Hour, Kayla Santiago. What's up, Kayla?
3: I'm happy to be here. I love what you're talking about and Nick Foles and the Eagles and everything like that. I'm really happy to talk some Sixers as well. They've got a big game tonight and it's a little bit scary, but looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, it should be a good one. It should be a good one. And for those of you who don't recognize Kayla, she does the game day shows here on the Jacob Sports Network down at the Ocean Casino with me. Farzi Mike Missanelli, Derek Gunn, Seth Joyner, John McMullen does a great job. She's also the sports director for Del Marva Sports Network and really knows her Sixers. So we want to bring her on to talk Sixers. But before we do, since you caught the end of my little rant about Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, let's get Kayla Santiago's opinion. Do the Philadelphia Eagles win Super Bowl 52 if Carson Wentz never gets hurt? Her I on the think spot. they do.
3: I think they do. And I say that because I don't think it was, was much Nick Foles as it was the personnel and everybody that they had at that moment. The coaching staff, I mean, you're talking about John De Filippo at that time being the quarterback coach. I think he gets Carson Wentz ready for that. Does Carson Wentz stay healthy throughout the playoffs? I don't really know, but I remember back then, and it seems like a crazy thought. We were calling Pennsylvania Wensylvania. I mean, everybody was on board with this guy. He was playing at an MVP level. Do I think it would have been a shootout in the Super Bowl? No, I think it would have been more of a defensive battle, and they would have shifted their gears other ways because I think Nick Foles was just better suited up for that shootout with Tom Brady. But I honestly do. I think the fact that Nick Foles was able to get it done, though, was absolutely just insane, and you couldn't have written it up any better.
1: Yeah, I was lucky enough to be in the building in Minnesota for that Super Bowl, and it was Definitely my greatest memory as a sports fan. It was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. But let's switch gears because another awesome thing that's going on is our 76ers have won five straight games. They look like they are fun to watch. Love this Nick Nurse system. But what's impressed you the most over this five straight win stretch?
3: I think right now it's just the pick and roll game that everybody knows they should have been doing for the longest time with Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid. I think the biggest thing is if you look at Tyrese Maxey right now, He's more of like a silent assassin. We used to call Tobias Harris that, but Tyrese Maxey, I look at the stat sheet after the last game. And I'm like, this guy's got 22 points because Joel had 48 against the Wizards. I get that it was the Wizards, but this guy is willing to do so many different things. And it just depends on the matchups. And I think that's what Nick Nurse is really, really doing. It's saying, okay, well, Joel Embiid, you're going to have your night because they're a little bit small down low. And if they got some power down there, you're going to be the one Tyrese Maxey that's going to have to go off. Also, I mentioned the depth before. I said this, and this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I truly think that a true point guard, somebody that's getting playing time consistently as a backup, I think Pat Bev is one of the best backup point guards Philadelphia has had since Lou Williams was the backup for Drew Holiday. Because I think that Pat Bev just brings a different grittiness, a different toughness that Philadelphia really hasn't had behind Tyrese Max here, even when Ben Simmons was the point guard. Yeah, they had Shake Milton, they had guys like that, but... The coaches didn't like those guys. They didn't get consistent playing time. So I think being able just to have that depth, especially at guard, is something the Sixers just really haven't had in a really long time.
1: You definitely have a lot of good depth on this team. And we talked about Tobias Harris briefly. He looks like he's playing some of the best basketball he's played in the last couple seasons.
3: I think there's no pressure on him at this point. And I understand that everybody's like, Tobias Harris has to be this fantastic player. He's on a max contract. That's not Tobias Harris. He's a very good role player and he can elevate, but he's never going to be a superstar like Joel Embiid or possibly a Tyrese Maxey someday as well. I think Tobias Harris right now, he just doesn't feel the pressure. He's able to ball out. And I think he really likes Nick Nurse's system. I don't know if Joel Embiid loves the system because he constantly has them running up and down the court, and we know Joel loves to sometimes just stay down low. But I think Toby is really, really enjoying Nick Nurse right now. I think a lot better than Doc Rivers, to be honest.
1: Yeah, this team has been a lot more fun to watch. I know it's early in the season, but how many times were we just yelling at the TV, watching some of the decisions Doc Rivers was making over the last couple of years? And God forbid you questioned him after a game. I mean, that was the, the worst part of it all. Is just he was a little pompous at times. But let's go back to a couple of weeks ago when they finally make the trade in the middle of the night, getting rid of James Harden. If you're not following Kayla Santiago, check her out on all social media platforms. But she posted a video to her TikTok real early in the morning celebrating the trade of James Harden. What are your thoughts about that trade?
3: Well, it's actually crazy because that night I had a dream about me yelling at James Harden. And I'm not making this up that he didn't do anything to help out the Sixers. And then I wake up in the morning and a trade happens with James Harden. Listen, it's what I expected but I don't think that Daryl Morey is done just yet. I expected them not to get a lot back for one, because just the mass of the contract, no team's going to really want that. And what James Harden has done consistently, he's never going to be Houston Rockets, James Harden. Again, he had a problem with the nets. He had a problem with Philadelphia, and now he's probably gonna have a problem with the Clippers. If you think that system's going to work out with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard and Russell Westbrook, I think you're absolutely crazy because those guys are not going to be able to play more than 20 games together. But I like the pieces that we got back. I think for once the Sixers have guys that can really surround this team that are going to be very good. Nick Batum, the other night he played really well on his first game back, the first time he played for the Philadelphia 76ers. If Tyrese Maxey can step up to the level that everybody wants him on, I think this team will be okay. And the one thing I like about it is because there's no second quote-unquote superstar right now, is there's no expectations. You don't have a Dame Lillard and a Giannis. You don't have a Jason Tatum and a Jalen Brown. You have Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, who people are hoping that will elevate just a little bit. So I like it. I like the trade. I like the pieces that they got back. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if Daryl Morey probably turns those pieces a little bit. Zach Levine comes to my mind. He's the first guy that I would like the Sixers to have if he uses Roko and those other pieces to get a piece like that for Philadelphia.
1: See, I told you guys, Kayla knows her Sixers, so we're going to be bringing her on a lot this year to talk about the 76ers, and hopefully it's going to be all good things to come. Now, you mentioned you're hoping he can turn that into something. Do you think we'll see a move soon, or do you think this is something that we're going to wait to get closer to the trade deadline before Maury makes another move?
3: I think trade deadline, because I want to think that they want to see how Tyrese Maxey is going to develop. Is he going to get hurt? Is he going to truly be Joel Embiid's secondhand man? Because the thing about Tyrese Maxey is his ego is nowhere. You look at a guy like Ben Simmons and James Harden, if they don't want to play, they don't want to play. Tyrese Maxey is a guy that's going to give you 110% every single time that he goes out on the court. So how much can he elevate this year, and how much can he make him and Joel kind of that superstar duo? I think that Daryl Morey wants to see just a little bit more of that. And I think now that Nick Nurse is in the process and is with this team and the head coach, I think Daryl Morey is just going to sit on it just for a little bit, see how this develops. But at the end of the day, their goal is to get past the second round, hopefully, I would think. So I think sometimes you may need bigger pieces to compete with the Danes, the Jason Tatums, the Jalen Browns, and Giannis. I think they're going to wait a little bit, though. Don't expect it to happen right now. I think the trade deadline for Philadelphia is going to be crazy this year that's what I'm expecting.
1: And they finally have some assets and some room to do something because after they made that deal for Harden, we we had no flexibility. They couldn't do they couldn't get in the conversation for any players that were becoming available. But guys, I see you in the chat. I see everybody enjoying Kayla's segment here, so smash that like button for us, hit that share button. The more Philadelphia sports fans we can reach, the better. And Kayla, you mentioned Tyrese Maxey, they want to see what they have in him. You think he's an all-star this
3: season? I think the guards in the East are very, very good. I think that he could possibly get in as an all-star reserve, but he's got to stay healthy. I think that injury last year really, really hurt him. I think if he's able just to go on a tear like he is right now and he's able to stay healthy, absolutely. Because, yes, you have a guy like Joel Embiid who's playing right now at an MVP caliber level. I know it's very early in the season, so I don't want to overstep there as well. But I think Tyrese Maxey just brings so much to the game because you take him out of the Sixers' starting lineup, and it's just Joel Embiid. The rest of the league, the good teams, all have two superstars on their team that are making them elevate. Tyrese Maxey needs to be part of that two-superstar duo, and if he can prove that by the All-Star break, I definitely think that he'll get in as a reserve. Like I said, though, the guards in the East are very, very good, so it may be tough for him to be able to try to get in there. But at the end of the day, if he keeps this up and stays healthy, I don't see why not. We
1: talked about the depth a little bit. What do you think about Kelly Oubre? Do you like him on this team?
3: I love it, and I love the fact that he went on Twitter after and said he has something to prove. He wants to show teams that he's just not a piece that you can trade off, trade off here and there. I love what he's doing. The thing that I think he brings the most to this team, though, is the perimeter defense, and we haven't had that in a really long time. Now, Robert Covington is very good at that, but he was very good when he was on the Sixers the first time around. He's a little bit older now. He's not that same player. You look at Kelly Rubray, not only can this kid score and probably maybe be your third or fourth option after Tobias Harris, he can also play perimeter defense. He's very long, he's very lanky, and he can get out there and defend those guards. So that's what I like most about him, and I think it's a need, and I just love the fire that he has lit under him. I think that's what Philly is all about.
1: It's definitely an exciting team to watch. They've been fun. I've been enjoying it so far this season. And it's hard because I got to keep reminding myself, like, don't worry about the playoffs because I keep thinking they're going to disappoint us eventually. They're going to disappoint us eventually. But I'm trying to enjoy this team because they are fun to watch. It is a fun offense to watch, a fun team to watch. And we got a big game tonight. So what are you expecting to see tonight? That Boston Celtics team is a solid team. You think the Sixers got a shot?
3: (sighs) Everything in me wants to say yes. Uh, I think it's going to be a close game. I think it'll be like Milwaukee. Um, The good thing, though, I think that the Philadelphia Sixers have advantage of is there's no way that Porzingis is going to be able to defend Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's going to be able to literally step over him and get his way down low. Now, Al Horford will be able to defend Joel a little bit, but he's not the same Al that faced Joel year two and three in Embiid's career. So I think the issue with that is going to see how good the Philadelphia 76ers perimeter defense is this year. I just talked about Kelly Oubre. I think he has a huge test tonight. I mean, you've got two fantastic guards on the side of the Boston Celtics. Ty Reese Maxey, he's a pest, but I wouldn't say he's a fantastic perimeter defender. What can they do on the defensive side of the ball? That's what I'm going to be looking at just a little bit more, I think, especially considering if you want this team to get out of the East, what do they have to compete right here, right now, if it was all said and done. So I think it's going to be – Probably a shootout at this point. I think it's going to be a very high-scoring game. I think Joel Embiid's going to have 40-plus points in this contest, but I do think it's going to be interesting to see how they defend Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown.
1: And you mentioned Al Horford. I can't stand Al Horford simply because he was great in Boston, defended Joel Embiid better than anybody. Then the Sixers go out and get him. We're all excited. He looked like an old man on the Sixers, and then he goes back to Boston, and he's back to being Al Horford. What the hell happened when he was here in Philly?
3: First off, he was never going to fit in in Philadelphia because they love the fact of having Joel Embiid, Al Horford, and Ben Simmons all on the floor at the same time. That's not going to work. Ben Simmons cannot shoot the ball. He likes to be down low. Oh, by the way, you have two huge guys down low, and Joel Embiid, who's an MVP-caliber player. Oh, by the way, also Al Horford, who wants to get his buckets and score. They just completely utilized him the wrong way. But I also can't stand how his sister was constantly on Twitter and was like, oh, well, Philadelphia is this, Philadelphia is that, and saying all this stuff because Al Horford wasn't happy in Philadelphia. It was never a good fit, in my opinion. You could tell that he always wanted to go back to Boston. It was nice to have him on the side because I think that after that, there was nobody else in the East that could defend Joel Embiid. So that was a good part of it. But I I knew it was never going to work. I mean, you have all those guys that are fighting for a spot down low. It's going to go to Joel Embiid. They should have brought him off the bench. They didn't do that. It didn't work. And by the way, he can hit threes in Boston like nights out. He can never do that in Philadelphia. It was just so stressful. It seemed like he didn't want to be with the Sixers. And good riddance, honestly. And now he can boom anytime he comes back to Wells Fargo Center.
1: Yeah, I'm all for that. I am definitely all for that. Well, guys, as you could tell, Kayla really knows her basketball, knows her 76ers. We're going to be bringing her on a lot to talk about the Sixers, but she also knows her Eagles. And like I said, she does game day with us. So I want to just switch the gears a little bit and talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. How does Kayla Santiago feel about this Eagles team nine weeks into the season sitting here at eight and one?
3: I'm confident right now, and I say that because I don't even think they've reached their peak or come close to reaching that as well. I think the injury with Dallas Goddard is definitely tough, not just in the passing game, just also in the blocking game. I mean, he does so many things where Jalen Hurts has time to create. We already saw that offensive line last week. It's a little bit banged up. You look at having Dallas Goddard out of the equation for the next few weeks, that definitely scares me a little bit. But I had this conversation yesterday, and somebody asked me, are the Eagles who roll contenders? There's nobody else in the NFC, maybe besides the 49ers, but they are sore losers, and we all know that, that is going to compete with this Eagles team. They're just so talented. We've always complained about the coaching staff, I think, throughout this season. Brian Johnson, honestly, the first half of that last game, I thought did a lot better than he's done all season long. We saw that first drive with Kenny Gainwell able to get that touchdown. I think that was some sort of improvement, and I think now that they have the bye week, We always say, you know, past years, is the bye week a good thing? The Eagles are red hot right now. Are they going to kind of go down a notch if they have a bye week? This year, it comes at the perfect time. These guys are banged up. They're not healthy. Giving them about two weeks to rest before you go back out there is extremely huge. So I'm not worried. I think that Jalen Hurts is playing some of his best football right now. And, yes, he's banged up. But you see just what this team means to him and what this city means to him. And when he has that talent and he has that mental game, I think he can beat just about anybody, especially in the NFC. When you talk about the AFC, stuff gets a little bit tougher. But in the NFC, I think the 49ers are the only other team that's going to compete with them.
1: And I I think you're spot on, too, because when you look around that NFC, there's some good teams. But there is no quarterback in the NFC that's on Jalen Hurts' level. I said it in the offseason. Some people came after me on social media. Oh, let's see him do it for a second straight season. He's doing it. Jalen Hurts is playing at an MVP caliber level again, and he's doing it from the pocket, not running the ball as much. I don't see another quarterback in the NFC even close to Jalen Hurts.
3: No, there's not one. And the thing with Jalen, too, by the way, last week we saw he can spread the ball just so well. And, A.J. Brown, I mean, this dude's absolutely on fire. That duo is probably one of the best in the NFL besides Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. So you look at Jalen Hurts right now, and just he's able to do so much. It's so tough to game plan against him. We talked about it on the postgame show. I would, of course, like to see their running game going a little bit more, especially with Jalen a little bit bagged up. Have DeAndre Swift in there when Boston Scott can come back. Hopefully have him in a little bit more rotational as the running back room as well. I think Brian Johnson needs to use those guys, but right now I'm just not worried. I know they have a tough stretch coming up and they're going to lose some games in the stretch. I think they at least lose two games in the stretch, possibly to the Chiefs and possibly to the 49ers, but they don't lose to the 49ers in the postseason. That's my prediction right now. But I think the people that are freaking out over the Eagles, just look at their record. They find ways to win games. It hasn't been pretty. The only one I felt confident about is against the Miami Dolphins. But they faced the Miami Dolphins team that everybody was raving about having one of the top offenses in the NFL before the Eagles came in and kind of quieted all that noise.
1: Yeah, they did. So I'm confident as well. But let me ask you before I let you go, what are you concerned about with this Eagles team? Is there an area that has you a little bit worried?
3: Definitely just the lack of run game. And I'm more worried about that because we've seen how much Jalen Hurts has gotten banged up. And if you're going to utilize him on the run so much, that knee is definitely going to be a nagging injury. Now they're not open about talking about it. We don't really know what's going on, but it's football. You're going to get hit hard. You're going to be in situations you don't want to be in. And the last thing that you see is you don't want Jalen Hurts to get hurt. So I think the run game needs to get a little bit better. Now I know everybody's talking about the secondary and I completely understand it, but I don't think that James Bradbury and Darius Slay are going to have many more games that they had last week. Sean Desai throughout the season also has been very good at halftime adjustments. We haven't seen that in the last two games, though, and that's definitely a worry right now. But I think if you stick with your linebackers in Morrow and Cunningham and you have these young guys to keep on going throughout the season, they're going to gain more experience. They're going to face tough tasks. But I think right now, I think the secondary will be okay. Sean Desai is not Jonathan Gannon, and I think that's a plus for Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, you're not kidding. Kayla, thank you for your time. Enjoy the bye week. We don't have to be down in Atlantic City this weekend. So you doing anything good this
3: weekend? I'm going to a Sixers game on Sunday. So I'm going to nice. be back in Philadelphia. Uh, hopefully, Joel and B plays because they play the Celtics and they have the in season tournament on Friday. So Sunday may be his rest day. But I'll be back in Philly and then excited to be back for the Eagles, hopefully talking about them and after another win.
1: Well, I'll see you next week. Enjoy it. Thanks, Kayla. Really appreciate it.
3: Awesome. Thanks for having me on.
1: There's Kayla Santiago. I told you guys, she really knows her stuff. She does a great job, both with football, basketball, knows baseball too. So we're going to have Kayla on a lot talking 76ers and Philadelphia Eagles and really all things Philadelphia sports. But guys, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We'll finish up the show. I want to take a look at these ridiculous ESPN analytic power rankings. Stay tuned, guys.
0: Go to get your game on.
2: Since 1977, it's always been about you, the community, at Rafferty Subaru. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now.
0: So Good Now helps kids in under resourced areas by connecting them with student athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most.
3: When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help
1: organizations like So Good Now. What's up, everybody? Welcome back into the Philly Sports Power Hour. I appreciate all you guys here in the chat. I see you all talking. You all enjoyed Kayla Santiago. She does a great job. Smash that like button for me if you can. I see a lot of you here, but not seeing a lot of likes. So get that likes up, guys. Get that like button up and hit that share button, too, if you're feeling up to it. More Philadelphia sports fans, we could reach the better. I also see you talking in the chat about this ridiculous NBA in season tournament. And I think it is absolutely ridiculous. But the reason they need to do it is because everyone knows the regular season in the NBA doesn't mean much. Teams rest players all the time. It doesn't really matter until you get into the playoffs. So what they're trying to do is to create some excitement for regular season games. And basically what they did is they took all 30 teams. And they broke them into five groups. Excuse me, six groups of five teams. So there's six groups of five teams. And then they're going to play, I think the first round goes until when? Goes until November 28th. They You play each team in your group once. And then they're going to take the best six teams from those divisions they go to the knockout round. Then there's going to be two wild card teams who had the best records overall. They're going to go. So they're going to be eight teams that then play in a knockout round. Then there's going to be a championship, and you're going to be an in season champion. And they're even going to give an MVP award. I don't know, man. I don't know. And I actually said this before when they announced it that this is why I think the NFL needs to be careful adding too many games to their regular season because there's a reason why. Fans don't care as much about NBA regular season games, NHL regular season games, and especially Major League Baseball regular season games. There's so many of them that every game doesn't matter. But that's the beauty of the NFL. Every game matters. You win one week, you're going to the Super Bowl. You lose the next week, your team stinks, right? That's how we feel as fans. Because every game matters. They keep adding games. And some of these regular season games aren't going to mean as much. So the NFL needs to be careful. They're at 17. You know they're going to go to 18 because they want to have an even number of games. But it better stop there. Because if you add too many games, regular season isn't going to mean as much as it means right now. And that's what we all love about the NFL. So the NBA Cup starts for the Sixers on Friday. And we'll see if it works. But let's take a look at something else that's ridiculous. And that's the ESPN analytic power rankings. And I was going to ignore this because I don't even want to give any credence to it because it's so absurd. But so many people are talking about it that I felt like we needed to talk about it. But here's the top six teams in ESPN's analytic power rankings. Number one, the Kansas City Chiefs. Number two, the Baltimore Ravens. Number three, the Buffalo Bills. Number four, the San Francisco 49ers. Number five, the Miami Dolphins. If you're paying attention, haven't said the Eagles yet. Number six, the Dallas Cowboys. And then at number seven, our Philadelphia Eagles are 8-1 and Philadelphia Eagles who beat the Dallas Cowboys, who beat the Miami Dolphins. They have them ranked at number seven. It's ridiculous. How do you even share this if you're ESPN? How do you even put this on your website and put this out into the world on social media when it's that ridiculous? Look, I don't see how you don't have the Philadelphia Eagles as the number one team. They're 8-1. and one. They've shown that they can win no matter the circumstances. And they got them at number seven. And they have two teams that they beat above them. And I see Y-Niner's Wine Niners whine. You may be right, man. He says, Bill, do you ever think they do that just to get people talking about ESPN? Yeah, you're probably right. And I'm I'm falling right into the trap here on the Power Hour talking about the ridiculous rankings. And I didn't want to because I didn't want to fall into the trap. But there's too many people hitting me up on Instagram and Twitter saying, hey, did you see ESPN's ranking? So I felt the need and the obligation to talk about it. But you're probably 1,000% right. They put out these ridiculous rankings just to get idiots like me talking about it. I see King DeBat Superfan. King Dingbat, excuse me, King Dingbat Superfan asking, what do I think of Quez coming back? You know, if you guys follow the show or you follow me at Legal Hands to the Face or on Twitter at Bill Calarulo, I haven't been a fan of them giving Quez Watkins the wide receiver three snaps anyway. Even before the Eagles signed Julio Jones, I felt that Alamade Zaccheaus earned that spot. When Zacchaeus has been given opportunities, he's delivered. Had another big catch on Sunday against the Cowboys. And you saw what Julio Jones can do. Had a great red zone touchdown two weeks ago. So I don't think that Quez should just immediately be given his job back. I think that you have better options with Julio Jones and Alameda Zacchaeus. And I've talked about it before. I've given you guys the stats before. I'm sick of hearing about how Quez Watkins' speed opens things up for the offense. I think that is an excuse that is made for his lack of production. Because I've given you the stats. We have seen his average yards per catch drop significantly. I'm not talking about how many yards he has or how many catches he has. I'm talking about his average yards per catch. If he had the speed that was blowing the lid off of a defense, that was opening things up underneath, you wouldn't see that yards per catch drop to about 10 yards per catch. It should be up near 15 yards per catch, where it used to be. It's dropped significantly. His speed means nothing to me. And these other receivers, yeah, is Quez faster than them? Sure. But he's not so much faster than them that, to me, it makes a difference. So I would stick with de Zacchaeus and Julio Jones, and I see King Dimbat agrees with me. Appreciate that. Jason A team Oz is more of a slot guy anyway. Quez is a flanker on most teams. Dank Kelly Green Burrito agrees exactly. His speed means nothing. But guys, really appreciate all of you in the chat, man. I love that you guys engage. I know some of you have said on other shows they they don't engage with the chat. Well, I love engaging with the chat. So keep the comments coming. Keep the questions coming. Absolutely love it. I want you guys to be a part of the Philly Sports Power Hour. This is our show, not my show, our show. So keep engaging in the chat, and I'll try to read as much as I can and as many comments as I can. But before we get into today in sports history like we do, I want to hit you with a little Philadelphia Eagles trivia. So I put this on my Instagram. So if you follow me on Instagram, you're already going to know the answer. So keep your mouth shut in the chat if you cheated and saw my video on Instagram. But we saw Jalen Hurts pass Randall Cunningham for the most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in Philadelphia Eagles franchise history. Jalen Hurts now has 33 rushing touchdowns. Randall Cunningham had 32. But although Jalen Hurts has the most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback, he's number five all-time for all players in Philadelphia Eagles franchise history. Who knows who the other four are? And I'll even take if you know who the number one is. So you have Jalen Hurts with 33. That puts him fifth overall in Philadelphia Eagles franchise history. Who rounds out the top five? Who are the other four players with the most rushing touchdowns in Eagles history? Let me see you guys in the chat. Anybody know? I did this on my Legal Hands to the Face show on Monday as well, so anyone who was there may know the answer. What do we got here? Tyler Connor says McNabb and Vic. No, no, no. I'm talking... All players. So Jalen Hurts leads quarterbacks. He's number one. But he's number five overall for all players. So who has the other four? And they are not quarterbacks. So I see the real zeal says Shady. Shady's in there, but he's not number one. Dank Kelly Green Burrito, wrong answers only, gives us Josh Adams, Bryce Brown, Wendell Smallwood, and Carell Buckalter. Yo, don't be talking smack on Carell. I liked Buckhalter. He was a nice change of pace back with B West. BSing sports says Van Buren, and that is number one. Steve Van Buren, number one with 69 rushing touchdowns. Number one in franchise history. Jim G with B West. Brian Westbrook is number four all-time with 37. The Real Zeal throws us a Shady McCoy. Shady McCoy is number three. Who's number two? It's not Deuce. Jason A. Team gets it. Wilbert Montgomery. So, for rushing touchdowns, and I see some of you throwing receivers out, this is rushing touchdowns only. Number one in franchise history, Steve Van Buren with 69 rushing touchdowns. Wilbert Montgomery, number two, with 45 rushing touchdowns. LaShawn McCoy, one behind Montgomery with 44. Westbrook with 37. And then there's Jalen. Fifth all-time in franchise history with 33. And if Jalen stays healthy, he will break the franchise record for most rushing touchdowns. So we see he's 36 rushing touchdowns behind Van Buren. But he's averaging 13 rushing touchdowns a year. He had 13 last year. He's on pace for 13 this year. If he stays healthy, he will break that record. And you think about Jalen Hurts being in the top five in really – Two and a half seasons as a starter is pretty incredible. Pretty damn incredible. So let's end our show like we do every single day with a little Today in Sports history. And like I've told you before, it's not always easy to find things that happen today in sports. But on November 8th, 1951, New York Yankees catcher Yogi Berra won the first of his three MVP awards. And I like Yogi Berra, even though I'm not a huge Yankees fan, big Phillies fan. I always like Yogi Berra. He had some great quotes. It's deja vu all over again, was one of Yogi Berra's quotes. But he won his first MVP, November 8th, 1951, and then deja vu all over again. He won it two more times. But guys, appreciate every single one of you here in the chat. We will be back again tomorrow, 10 o'clock on the Power Hour, and Thursdays, who knows what Thursdays are? There are Farzy on Thursdays, Thursdays with Farzy, whatever you want to call it. Mark Farzetta will be joining the show tomorrow at 10 o'clock. We'll talk a little Sixers, a little Eagles. Big Sixers game tonight, so we'll talk about that tomorrow on how they fare against this Boston Celtics team. But appreciate every one of you guys. Smash that like button on the way out, and I'll see you tomorrow, 10 o'clock. As always, guys, go Birds.
0: Go for the polls